I love Christmas. Let me just tell you, I, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love the time of the year. I love this time of the year. I love the weather. I like the snow as long as it melts in four hours like it did yesterday afternoon. Um, I love the weather this time of the year. I love the food of Christmas. Now, I love tamales and brisket and turkey and pies. Uh, I think gravy is even better at Christmas time. I'm excited about Christmas gravy. Um, I love the trees and the lights and the decorations, uh, all the things we put out in our house. I love our, the presents. Uh, I like to give them and I like to receive them. Uh, I like the excitement. And it just seems that there's a different feel in the, in the air. Ever since I was a little kid, it just seems there's a different buzz in the air, a different feel in the air at Christmas time. I like the excitement of Christmas time. I love family at Christmas time. I love my kids. Uh, I love all the memories. And I can think back of, of great, great memories of Christmases in the past. Uh, I was just thinking yesterday, Sarah Joe's first Christmas. Uh, she was about seven months old, and she had this little dress on and these little chubby legs with these white stockings and these little black shiny shoes, and, and what an awesome little Christmas that was. The, the boys, when they, were, when they were little guys, and we'd dress them up and, and get them all rigged up and bring them to the Christmas Eve service, uh, what awesome memories I have of my kids at Christmas. And I can think of such tremendous uh, Christmases. I love the songs of Christmas, the songs that, that we're singing this week and the next few weeks. Uh, I love those songs. We miss them all year. I love the songs of Christmas. Let me just tell you, I love Christmas. But more than ever, more than ever, I love the Savior of Christmas, Jesus. Let me tell you, I, I really do. More than any time, I'm 47 years old, more than any time in my life, I love the Savior of Christmas, Jesus Christ. In the, in the next three weeks, I want us to see that Savior. I want us to, to really see that, the magnificence, the glory, and the majesty of that Savior. I think sometimes it becomes maybe as sad as that is commonplace. We know the songs. We understand all the stories. Born for you today in the city of David is a Savior. I, I want us to really see the glory and the majesty of our Savior, Jesus. Christmas 2018, I want us to go away and say, you know what, I saw Jesus this Christmas as never before. Now here's the weird part. We're gonna do it in the book of Micah. I have never preached a sermon, I don't think, out of the book of Micah. Uh, I have read it, I have referenced it, but I've never preached, I do not believe, out of the book of Micah. Now I was thinking about that. Here's a good thing. I've never preached a bad sermon out of the book of Micah. <laughs> but I want us to see Jesus here in this Old Testament book. And this Christmas, my prayer is that we would cast our eyes on the hope of mankind, the Savior who was born, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I want to tell you, that is my prayer, that we would, we would put our eyes, place our eyes upon the Savior, Jesus, of Christmas. Today we're going to start with one verse, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This one verse today, our message is entitled today, The One from Bethlehem. The One from Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Micah 
Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this. But as for you, Bethlehem, Arapha, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come today and we are thankful for you. We're thankful for a hope that endures today, a peace that is firmly established today. We're thankful for the forgiveness of our sins because of the starting event of Christmas. A Savior was born for us. And so we rejoice in that. I, I pray that we, that we wouldn't be able to separate that from the, the entirety of the gospel, that you're a God of grace and love and mercy, a God that, that sent his only begotten son that goes to the cross and, and pays the penalty for sin, that, that Jesus is a resurrected, risen Savior, and that we have hope in him. Lord, I pray as we begin this study this week, I pray that our, our pride would be set down, the distractions of these days would be set down, that we would truly put our eyes upon the Word of God, our ears upon the Word of God, and in these three weeks we would see Jesus. Lord, I, I pray whatever lot in life we find ourselves, whatever struggle we're in, whatever hardship, whatever baggage we've brought in here today, that we would set it down and we would truly see Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would speak, pray that you would lead, Pray that you would reveal yourself to us in your word. And I pray that in all of that, that we will be quick to honor you, some to receive you, all of us to glorify you. Lord, I pray that you speak in these verses. We tell you today how thankful we are for Jesus, the one of Bethlehem. And it's in his name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Now, let me give you a little bit of context today. It's going to be important to understand what's happening here in our message. Understand Micah is a record of 20 sermons, best as I can tell, 20 sermons given by God and spoken through the prophet Micah. Now, this was about 700 years before Christ. It's really, I believe, about 725, 735 years before the birth of Christ. Micah was a prophet to Judah, the southern kingdom. Now, it's an interesting thing. He was a prophet at the same time as Isaiah. And so when Micah is preaching, Isaiah is somewhere else, and he is also preaching, both of them speaking as prophets of God. Now, that's an interesting thing. It's going to be more interesting here in a moment. In the book of Micah, in these sermons that are recorded, he is telling the nation of their sin. And they had entered into some, to some vile things, some wicked things. He's, he's telling the nation of their rebellion against the one true God. He's, he's really opening their eyes to their wickedness. And so he is preaching about sin. He is telling them of their rebellion as a people. Not only that, he's telling them of God's coming judgment of that sin. You see, sin always brings repercussions. And he's telling them there that God will judge your sin, your wickedness, your rebellion. God has seen that. God has taken note of that. And God is going to judge that sin. And then, in the midst of preaching of their sin, he issues a call for repentance. 
And that, what an awesome thing. He tells them about their sin. He, he tells them the reality of their sin. He tells them the truth of God's coming judgment of that sin, for that sin. But he also issues a call for repentance. He desires that they would turn back from their sin. That's God's heart. That they would come back from that sin. And that as a people, as a nation, they would repent of that sin. And so understand this morning Micah is a book that tells of God's judgment. And Micah is also a book that calls for repentance. And in the midst of talking about sin, in the midst of talking about judgment and calling for repentance, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, God reveals to this prophet the coming of his Messiah, the one of Bethlehem. Now that, that by itself, and we're going to see some tremendous stuff today, that by itself is, is an awesome thing. Talking about sin, talking about the judgment for sin, 700 plus years before the birth of Jesus Christ, he tells them of the Messiah who is going to come as the remedy for sin. Jesus, the one of Bethlehem. Now, we're going to look at this one, the Messiah, for three weeks. But today, we're going to start here with verse 2. And in it, we're going to see this. We're going to see the needed one. We're going to see the humble one. We're going to see the perfect one. We're going to see the promised one. And last, we're going to see the eternal one. All of those things from this single verse. Again, the needed one, the humble one the perfect one, the promised one, and the eternal one. Again, my prayer is that we would see Jesus in this verse as never before, that this Christmas we would see our Savior, Jesus, as never before. And so we begin today. First, the needed one, the needed one. Verse 2 starts with a simple word. But, notice that, but, now if we're not careful, we'll miss this word, but, but in the Hebrew, in the original language, is a contrast, but is a dividing line, but is a turning point. Now what it means is this, it means what follows is not like what was before. And so there is, a, there is a dividing line that is drawn with this but. There is a contrast that's about to be made. What is following is not like what is before. Now, stay with me. See this this morning. All eternity changes with the fulfillment of the rest of this verse. All eternity hinges on God bringing to pass the rest of this verse. You see, prior to this event, man has entered into sin. And man is suffering in his sin. And man is hopelessly locked in his sin. Prior to this event, man has found himself seriously deficient. He is created by God, yet he's separated from God. He is loved by God, yet he is out of fellowship with God. 
He is even made in the image of God, and yet now in his sin, he awaits the full wrath of a holy God. Listen to me this morning. Understand this. Man needs a Savior. Man needs a Savior. Mankind needs a Savior. We are hopeless without a Savior. We are dead in our sins without a Savior. We are doomed. We are destroyed without a Savior. But with the fulfillment of this verse, our Savior now lives. So the first thing we see in one word is we see the needed one. Listen, we needed a Savior. Listen, I needed a Savior. Our only hope is that there will be a Savior. And there in the consequence for sin, but a dividing line, a turning point, and in the fulfillment of this verse, we have the needed one. Second one we see today is this, the humble one. The humble one. And this may be interesting. It may be kind of out of place in the context of all the great things we're talking about, but we see the humble one. The verse continues, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. Now, understand here, God is addressing this city. God is really pointing out this town, and that's, that's going to be a pretty heavy thing. God is actually pointing out this town. Bethlehem was a small town. It's, it's about five miles south, southwest of Jerusalem, it says here that it was that it was too small. Now, understand when you when you go back and translate that, what that means is this: it was little in size, but it also means more than that. It was little in significance. And so here's this town, Bethlehem, and it is little in size, but more than that, it's also little in significance. Understand it like this: here is this little town, just on the edge of the magnificent city of Jerusalem. Can you really, now start to picture that. Here, here is the great city of God, Jerusalem. Here is the city with the, with the palace of the king in it. Here is the city that the king comes in and out with all of his majesty and the horns that blow. Here is the city where the temple is known, where the, where the presence of God is observed. Here is a magnificent city, Jerusalem, a city of great splendor, and then here's this place that you just pass through on the way to get to that magnificent city. It may be a lot like Electra. <laughs> Clans means towns or cities. Some of y'all must be from Electra. <laughs> Clans means towns or cities. Now, what, that, what it means, the, 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 the towns or the cities. Now, it originated from the fact that a city, and that's going to be important, a city, a town, would originate from a clan, from a family unit. There would be a family there, and a city would grow out of this clan. And so it says here, this one, this, this town, Bethlehem, is too insignificant to be listed among the great towns of Judah. More than that, it is too insignificant even to be listed among the average towns of Judah. No one ever thinks about Bethlehem. But see this. Out of this little nowhere town will come one. A child will be born. 
a son will be given. And the government shall rest upon his shoulders. The authority to rule will be resting upon his shoulders. What is his name? His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. In this town, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And the name which is above every other name, the only name ever given among men by which we must be saved is gonna be named of a little baby in this town. Our Savior, the humble one, he humbles himself coming as a man, even a bondservant, Humble himself, even the point of death, death on a cross. Our Savior, the humble one, comes from this humble start. Now, isn't that just like God? He didn't need a palace. He could use a, a, an alley out back behind an inn. He didn't, he didn't need a gold coated crib. We, we, we fix up our nurseries. Oh, we, we paint the stripes on the wall and put all the stuff in there. He didn't need some fancy crib. A feed trough would do. He didn't need the audience of kings and priests and all the men of cloud together. Some simple shepherds, they'll be fine. And our humble Savior is born in this humble town. So the first thing we see, the needed one. The second thing we see is the humble one. The third we see, now get ready for this, it's going to be tremendous. The perfect one. The perfect one. The verse continues and it says this. From you, listen, every word's important. One will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. This line, this one line, is rich in prophecy, in messianic prophecy. All of them fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. This one line has so much going on, so much prophecy concerning the coming Messiah, and all of it is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Understand this. You see, the Messiah couldn't just be anyone. It couldn't just be anyone. It couldn't just be, well, let's use that one. The Messiah couldn't just be anyone. He had to be the perfect one. First, Bethlehem Ephrathah is in Judah. Its founding ancestors were from the tribe of Judah. Now, why is that important? Judah is the tribe, the lineage that possesses the rulers of the nation. God established that. That was his plan. Judah is the tribe that produces the rulers of the nation. Genesis 49.10 says, And the scepter shall not depart from the house of Judah. The ruling class comes out of the house of Judah. Second is this. Listen. Jesse was an Ephrathite. 1 Samuel 17.12 says that. Now remember who Jesse is. Jesse is King David's father. Bethlehem is the city of David. Bethlehem had produced one king already, David. David was born in Bethlehem. Now you sit there and say, well, why does that matter? Listen, the Messiah would be from the tribe of Judah, but he would also be of the lineage of David. 
Jeremiah 23, 5 says that. Isaiah 9, 7 says the Messiah would sit on his dad, David's throne. And so see this this morning. The Messiah had to be from the tribe of Judah with the authority to rule, but he also had to be of the lineage of David, a promised heir to reign, a true king. Listen now to Luke 2, 1 through 7. I wasn't going to go along without going to Luke. Now in those days, a decree went out of Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Listen to this. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him as was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for him in the end. Do you see how specific this is? Listen to me. Jesus is the perfect one. It couldn't just be anyone. It had to be the perfect one. Jesus is the perfect one. Now, I'm going to keep going. Stay with me. Bethlehem, from you one, talking about the Messiah, from you one will go forth for me. Now the words are very important. Listen very carefully. Bethlehem, from you, one, the Messiah, will go forth for me. And so not only does the Messiah have to come of the tribe of Judah, not only does he have to be a descendant of David, it says, Bethlehem, from you, one will go forth. Now notice this. It doesn't say from me, one will go forth. From you means a descendant of, a product of Bethlehem will go forth for me. Now this is very important. A product of Bethlehem will go forth for me. Listen, a man of Bethlehem will be the Messiah from God. I want you to see this. The Messiah is fully God. He is the Son of God. As the Son of God, he is fully God, and thus he has the power to save. You wonder why that's important that Jesus is fully God? It's because as God, fully God, complete divine, he has the power to save. But listen, the Messiah is also the Son of Man. He is fully man, listen to this, who is able to save. You see, the Redeemer of mankind had to be a man. To pay for the sins of men, he had to be a man. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21, Romans says the same thing. For since by a man came death, by a man, Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. Friends, Jesus is fully God. He is the divine salvation from God, but he's also fully man, and as such, he is the redeemer of men. And so I want you to get this this morning. Out of this little town of Bethlehem is born 
the line of Judah who has the authority to rule, who is also in the lineage of David, the heir, possessing the throne on which to rule, who is also the son of God, who has the power to save, who is also the kinsman redeemer, who is able to save, and all of that is in this one of Bethlehem. Listen, do you see how perfect our Messiah is? Do you see how pinpoint perfect our Savior is? Remember where we hear of the the kinsman redeemer? The near kin who's able to buy back, who's able to redeem. Do you remember where we hear of that? The book of Ruth. Guess where Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons were from? Ruth chapter 1. Bethlehem Ephrathah in the land of Judah. Listen, the Redeemer comes out of Bethlehem. He stands all those years later and he is fully man, the kinsman Redeemer, able to redeem mankind. How awesome. He's the perfect one. Jesus Christ, our Savior, is the perfect one. Folks, God knew we needed a Savior. Folks, God knew that we needed a Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And he knew it also couldn't be anyone. And so in the darkness here of this nowhere town, Jesus Christ, our Savior, is born. And he's born as the perfect one. Next we see the promised one. The promised one. He's the needed one. He's the humble one. He's the perfect one. Next we see, fourth we see, he is the promised one. The verse continues on and it says this, very awesome. His goings forth are from long ago. That's the New American Standard Translation. His goings forth are from long ago. The Hebrew phrase, the Hebrew word here for long ago means this. Listen very carefully. Ancient days. It means long ago days. Ancient days, long ago days. His goings forth is talking about his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. It's talking about the work of salvation and the product of redemption. His goings forth are from ancient days. His goings forth are from days long ago. Now what that means is the telling of, the promise of his goings forth are from ancient days. They are from days long ago. Now I could go crazy on this verse, but I'm gonna just walk you through a couple things. 700 years before the birth of Christ. Think about that. 50 years ago, you remember what was going on? 100 years ago, I can't remember, two days ago. 700 years before the birth of Christ, at the same time that Micah is preaching this, in fact, right there in the same town, 700 years before the birth of Christ, it says this, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and shall bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Listen, his goings forth 
are promised from ancient days. His goings forth are promised from long ago days. Now, I'm going to back up 1,200 more years. In Genesis, God makes a promise to Abraham. He makes a covenant with Abraham. God says you will have an heir. Remember, he doesn't think he can have an heir. He thinks it's pretty much impossible. God says you will have an heir, and out of that heir, not only will you have that miraculous heir, but out of that heir, your descendants will outnumber the stars. He says, look up. Can you number the stars? Your descendants, Abraham, they're going to outnumber the stars. And then he says, through that heir, all nations will be blessed. The Messiah will be the seed of Abraham. The Messiah will be a descendant of Abraham. In the book of Galatians, it says the seed is Christ. Again, the promise goes forth from ancient days, long ago. First, we see it in Isaiah, 700 years before Christ. Now we see it in Abraham, 2,000 years before Christ. One of your heirs will be the Messiah. One of your heirs will be the blessing, the hope of all nations. Now, if that's not enough, I'm going to give you one more. Back up now another 2,000 years. Now, can you imagine that 2,000 years more back? Genesis chapter 3. As, I want you to see this. As the aftermath of sin begins to unfold, they have sinned and now the effects of sin are beginning to roll. The aftermath of sin begins to unfold. As death has now started its reign, a reign that will continue in fear and terror of caskets and graves that are open, as death has now started its reign, as man now stands ruined and shamed in his sin, as perfect fellowship with God has been broken, as man is driven from his beloved perfect garden, as hope crumbles in, as the future appears oh so dark. Listen, it is in all of that that there is a glimmer of light. It is in all of that that there is a glimpse of hope. It is in all of that that the ancient promise occurs of this day in Bethlehem. Genesis chapter three, verse 15. Speaking to Satan, God says, there will be strife, enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. And her seed you shall bruise on the hill. Oh, but her seed, he will crush your head. Friends, from, from, from the ancient days, from the days long ago, from this little overlooked town of Bethlehem, we see this promise is fulfilled. Understand what has just happened here. 700 years before, 2,000 years before, 4,000 years before. There's countless times I could go on and on. Understand what has just happened here. This ancient promise has just been fulfilled. The seed of a woman, the seed of Abraham, the hope of nations, the line of Judah, the heir of David, the son of God, the son of man, our kinsman redeemer draws his very first breath and he rests on his mother's chest. Our Savior is born in Bethlehem. And so we see he is the promised one. The promised one from all the way back in the garden where sin took shape is Jesus. Seed of a woman, seed of Abraham, hope of nations, Heir of David, 
Son of God, Son of Man, kinsman, Redeemer, born that day in Bethlehem. He is the promised one. Do you see Jesus today? He's the promised one. Not just anyone, he's the promised one. The last is this. He is the eternal one. He is the eternal one. Sometimes we have a, a, a narrow view of Christ, of Jesus. It says at the end of the verse, from the days of eternity. Now, no longer just the ancient days. Now it is eternal days. Listen and see this this morning. Jesus is our creator. Jesus is our sustainer. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our answer. Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the king greater than all kings. Jesus is the Lord. And he has always been. Do you, do you understand that? He has always been. John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Our Savior, Jesus, is eternal. See this. Oh, I'm afraid I can't make this majestic enough. I want you to see how tremendous this is. All of these things, the perfect one, all these things, the needed one, all of these things, the humble one. But, but I want you to see how, how magnificent this is, how majestic this is. Jesus, eternally God. The great I am, the one without a start, depends on nobody for his existence. The great I am, Jesus, eternally God, listen, comes to save you. Do you know how tremendous that is? Eternally God, he needs not you, he needs not me. Eternally God, all powerful. Eternal God, the great I am, from eternity comes for us. That's my Savior. That's my Lord, Jesus. Let me tell you a couple things. Here's the response to that, all of that. Some of us here need to run to Jesus Christ for the first time. Some of us in this room need to see Jesus Christ for the first time. Listen, it is no fluke. It is no small thing. God himself came to save us. Came in the person of Jesus Christ, suffered and died in your stead, my place. Some of us today need to see Jesus Christ for the very first time. Not some, not some thing our granny told us, not some thing that we've, we've kept as a superstition somewhere, but the Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of us here today need to run to Jesus for the very first time. If that's you, in a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Listen, come, put your faith in Jesus. This is our Savior. This is our Lord. Some of us need to run to Jesus for the first time. Let me tell you something else. Here's the second part of that. A whole bunch of us here today need to see Jesus again. We've become so dadgum distracted. We've become so dadgum bogged down. We've become so clouded in our thinking. A bunch of us here today need to see Jesus Christ again. Eternal God who comes and humbles himself, takes on the form of a man, dies that he might redeem us. Some of us need to see Jesus today. The one of Bethlehem. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come, and I am in awe of my Savior. I am in total awe of my Savior. I praise the name of Jesus. 
I can't imagine the, the perfect one. All of those things lining up. I can't imagine the humble one. I can't imagine such humility to even take the suffering of the cross. More than that, my shame of my sin dumped on him. I can't imagine. But Lord, I know he was the needed one. Jesus, you were the needed one. I needed you. So I'm thankful in the fulfillment of that promise, the eternal one comes. I praise my Savior, Jesus. Lord, I pray that our hearts right now are welling up in worship of our Savior. I pray for some in this room that have not put their faith in Jesus Christ. I pray that today in this presentation of our Savior that they would put their faith fully, firmly, finally in Jesus. The hope of nations that today they would be saved in that. I pray for some that are, that are wrestling against this, that are deciding this. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, remove any barrier. And then I pray for a whole bunch of us here in this year that we would see Jesus again. And then seeing Jesus, we would worship, we would praise, we would adore, we would love our Savior. Lord, I pray in this time of invitation that you move freely, that you speak, that you have spoken, that you continue to draw. And I pray the result would greatly glorify you. Lord, we love you and we worship you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.